Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we're at as we continue on in the book of 2 Corinthians. We study entire books uh, here. We go chapter by chapter. We go verse by verse. We don't want to miss anything. Um, Jesus said in the, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. And so we don't want to skip over any parts at all. On Wednesday nights, we just started the book of Isaiah. Last week, did Isaiah chapters 1 to 3. And so we invite you out to that. Also, the first Wednesday of each month is going to be a night of, of prayer and worship, kind of a, a body ministry night where people can share scriptures. Um, if they have a word from the Lord, they can share that. And so we're going to be doing that regularly the first Wednesday of each, of each month. So just to fill you in on those things. So let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 12 is where we are at. I'll read that, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the, in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We, we ask God that you, by your Holy Spirit, would illuminate it to our hearts that you would take the application and the understanding far beyond what, what I can uh, bring out, Lord, but you would, you would speak to us individually that as we read and consider, as we set our minds and our hearts aside for this time, Lord, that you would be the great teacher in the room, Lord, and you would be the one helping us to make application and to follow through. And so we commit it to you, Lord. Thank you. We pray for our ladies that are at the retreat. Bless them as they are still uh, enjoying the time together right now. Bless them as they come home. And thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I almost prayed also and helped the dads get the houses clean, but I decided to, decided to hold off on that. I remember those days when the kids were little and mom was gone and pizza and Taco Bell and ice cream all weekend, so good times. I've entitled this message, The Power of the Truth Keeps You Going. We remember that in the book of 2 Corinthians, it's a very autobiographical book. It's very re revealing about the life of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was the spiritual father to the church at Corinth, and he, sp he had spent 18 months with them establishing this church. He was their spiritual dad. We have written before us the books of 1 and 2 Corinthians, but we believe with a lot of good reason that there's actually four letters that were written to the church at Corinth. One previous 
to 1 Corinthians, then 1 Corinthians, then another one called the Severe Letter, and then 2 Corinthians. And Paul wrote letters to, these, to this church because there was a lot of problems in the church. They were, on the one hand, uh, really energized by the Spirit of God. Spiritual gifts were going. Uh, there was amazing things happening on the other side of the coin of the equation. They were very carnal and very immature in very many ways. And so at this point in the Apostle Paul's life, they are questioning him and they're kind of doubting his authority and doubting his apostleship, doubting that God had sent him, that Jesus had, had commissioned him and sent him. And so he's been kind of going through kind of a, a thing of, of self-defense, but by way of asking them to consider his life and by way of, of having them reflect on how he has ministered to them. When you're having to kind of battle in that way and it's not it's it's not a, a proactive attack as as much as it is giving a reason why people let me say this giving a reason for why the wrong things that people are thinking about you aren't true if you've ever been in that situation it's exhausting and paul had done nothing wrong to these people and yet he's having to to answer their criticisms and answer their accusations and ask them to think it through again. Have I really been that way with you? And so I have entitled this, The Power of the Truth Keeps You Going, because he says in verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We don't quit. He says, I'm not going to quit doing that thing that God has called me to do. And I've divided this... uh, section here these 12 verses in, in into two groups and i'm not going through this uh in the order of the verses being uh, presented because sometimes paul actually by the inspiration of the holy spirit digresses he'll make a statement and then he'll go back and explain something then he'll get back to his statement again so i've divided it up that way and he talks about those people that are causing him to be discouraged he, t- he describes in general terms the character and the spiritual uh health or lack of health that these people were living in and how their lack of understanding of the gospel and their, their lack of spiritual maturity and, their, and the, the spiritual blindness that they experienced was causing him to not only be disappointed but maybe sometimes on the edge of discouragement maybe thinking about quitting. I read a, a great quote from Charles Stanley last night. This is my paraphrase. I, I took what he said and, and I'm actually making it better. Don't tell him. Don't direct him to this sermon. Disappointment is inevitable, but discouragement is your choice. Disappointment is inevitable, but discouragement to where you want to quit, that's a choice. Disappointments are always going to come to us. We we can't stop that. But what we do with that disappointment is going to determine if we quit doing what we're supposed to be doing, if we quit running the race with Jesus. So Paul here is saying, and he kind of sets it out for us, at the end of verse 1 he says, because of all these things that God has done, I'm not going to quit. I don't lose heart. Am I discouraged? Am I disappointed? Absolutely. Is it hard? Absolutely. Am I going to quit? No, I'm not going to quit. So the obvious application for us is, as we go through this Christian life, if we have said yes to Jesus, if we have recognized that we need a Savior, if we have said, yes, Lord, God, forgive me for my sins, I repent, I'm turning from them, I want to follow you with all of my heart, Lord, I'm going to do my best, thank you for your grace, thank you for the cross, 
I'm going to follow you now. If, if that describes you and you're just going along with your Christian life and loving people and trying to serve people and coming to church, inviting people here and there and maybe sharing a book or sharing uh, an invitation to church, whatever the case may be, and you get pushed back and you even get kind of blamed or uh, accused of things, then that's what we're talking about today. And when you're being mistreated by people that shouldn't be mistreating you, that's what we're talking about today. And so first I want to look at, at those people uh, that can come into our lives and that really are all around us in many ways. And we're just going to see what Paul says about those kinds of folks. And he describes them as people who have spiritual blindness. And people who have spiritual blindness, you know, you can say, uh, physically you can say, look at that beauty of that uh, rainbow. And, and a physically blind person would say, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no such thing as rainbows if they were kind of had a bad attitude or something. I, I just don't believe in rainbows. And you're saying, but look, it's right there. Well, I, I can't, I can't see. And so spiritually speaking, somebody be, could be saying, I, lo- I love Jesus. He's changed my life. He's so real. And somebody could say, ah, I don't believe in that stuff. And Paul says it's because they're spiritually blind. So let's look here. Verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So there were people called false false apostles. They didn't call themselves of that, of course, but the apostle Paul did. He says they were spiritually blind. He tried very diligently to speak the truth to them and to say it really, really clearly. I want you to go back. Look at chapter 2, verse 17. Same book. He's describing his ministry. He's, he's kind of having to be a bit defensive, not aggressive against others, but he's, he's just making his, his argument, if you will. He says in chapter 2, verse 17, we are not as so many peddling the word of God. We're not, uh, the gospel isn't for retail distribution. We're not packaging it to make it look and, and to make it comfortable and appealing to the carnal nature. We are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God, of God in Christ. So we're not changing our message. We're trying to be very clear. We're trying to be very consistent. Look also at chapter 3, verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all. He says, I'm trying to be really clear. Do I need to get a letter of reference from people? Hey, you're my letter of reference. He's being very open with them. Very clear. Then look again over at chapter 3, verse 12, if you would. He says there, Therefore, since we have such hope, hope in the promises of God, we have great hope in in all the promises that God has made us. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Yes, I'm saying some things that are strong, but it's because we have hope in God. And so his, his message to these people that are spiritually blind And as a result of their blindness, they're rejecting the message. It's not because the message wasn't well delivered. The message was very well delivered. Probably nobody that's ever lived has delivered the gospel message as clearly as the Apostle Paul, of course, apart from Jesus Christ himself. A great, if you will, almost like a very uh, logical apologist. He could be a great defense attorney. He just really lays out uh, the the reasons for for the truth of the gospel in so many ways. 
And let's say that you're doing that, and, you, and you, let's say you can navigate around the Bible pretty well, and you've, you've studied the Bible a bit, and you've thought some things through, and you've, you've studied some apologetics, and you're able to talk about creation, you're able to talk about the fossil record, you're able to talk about uh, DNA, you're able to talk about um, stem cell research, you're able to talk about abortion, you're able to talk about uh, the homosexual issues and gay marriage, you're able to kind of address all those things, and you do it with love, and you do it with great tact, and you do it with great accuracy, and, and as you're saying these things, people are just like, nope, talk to the hand. And Paul is just simply saying that happens because people are spiritually blind. So that could discourage you and prompt you to not speak about Jesus. Also keep in mind here that Paul is also not only, the message is not only being turned away, but the Apostle Paul is actually being accused No show of hands here because if people are watching on TV, they, they might know the back of your head. But how many of us have, have wanted to just simply share about our faith or get engaged in a healthy, respectful uh, conversation about spiritual things or philosophical things and at some point somebody says something like, you Christians are all alike. You think you're so much better than all of us. Happened to me. By the way, the great answer for that is, no, actually I don't think I'm better than you. That's why I needed a savior, because I know I'm a rotten sinner, right? Everybody be happy about that. That's your answer. Okay. That's, that's how you answer. No, I'm a Christian because, I, because I'm not better than you, because my, because my, my life was in need. I needed, I needed the forgiveness of God. But the apostle here is sim- simply saying, in verse 3 and in verse 4, if the gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, and those who are perishing need our prayers, and they need our love. And he's not just saying that their life is harder. Guys, whenever we talk about the gospel, it's not just a matter of the quality of life. And sometimes we will hear uh, some speakers or preachers or churches or radio guys or whatever just simply talking about the quality of life. The gospel is also about eternity. Either facing the the just punishment of God or being forgiven and being with, with Christ forever in heaven. So it's always about that as well. And the Apostle Paul says, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, which is very sad. And I hope that we are all motivated to be praying for people and to be looking for opportunities. Guys, show of hands on this one. How many of you first went to church because someone invited you? Oh, the rest of you just kind of stumbled in? (laughs) Or you you don't want somebody to know the back of your head and your hand's going up? People come to church because people invite them. We just, I just want to, just a word of encouragement. We have an invitation cards out in the foyer. Grab some. We have those cards that are everyperson.com, everystudent.com. I've been giving those out to people. Hey, if you have a minute, check out this website. It has great answers. If you have any questions about the Christian faith here, you can do it in the privacy of your own home. We need to be fishers of men, right? Sometimes Christians get together. Sometimes we get together and say, oh Lord, bring the people to the church. That's like a fisherman saying, oh God, make the fish jump in the boat. Jesus said, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. So uh, just keep your rod and reel handy. Keep your Bible handy. Be praying for people. Because as Apostle Paul says here in verse 3, there are people that are perishing. And so not only do they not understand because of their blindness, but they're also perishing because of their blindness. And then sometimes, like with the Apostle Paul, they even turn and accuse you or defame you or saying you're doing this for this reason or that reason or something else. And that can be very discouraging. That can be very disheartening when you have a pure heart about it, when you really care for them. 
Verse 4, those who rejected Paul and the gospel message were blinded by Satan. Look at verse 4 again. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. The, The Apostle Paul talks about minds, the mental perceptions. The gospel appeals to the mind of man and it also appeals to the conscience of man. And sometimes people will be moved more by their minds their, their minds will uh, comprehend the gospel message, uh, the, 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 the self-evident truths of, of right and wrong and uh, internal conviction and all those things kick in and begin to move the mind or move the, move the conscience or the conscience is pricked and then the mind catches up with it. However that works, don't know. But Paul here says the people's minds are blinded and, and that speaks of information and that's why we need to be sharing the information of the Bible. Just want to encourage you guys to do that. I'm leading a life group at, at uh, Monday night at my house, and it's kind of for twenty-somethings. And um, we just started reading the book by Greg Laurie called "Tell Someone." And I just really want to encourage you to, to pick up that book. It's really easy to read, but that's what we're supposed to be doing: tell someone. So if, if you need some reading material, you can pick it up on Amazon or whatever else. Really good book. Verse 4, because people are blinded. Their minds, there's a, there's a veil over their mind. Ephesians 2, 2, look at your notes. Paul says about the Christians at Ephesus, he says, you used to live, this is how you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, in bold letters, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Satan is at work. God is at work, amen? God is at work, but Satan's at work too. And one of the ways that he does that is he makes people think the wrong thing. He makes people think the wrong thing about marriage and about family and about sexuality and about money and uh, it's your body, you can do whatever you want with it and all kinds of things, how to raise children, how a government should be run, the value of human life. If somebody's old and kind of just really not useful anymore, we can discard them. Satan is at work in people's minds. Verse 4, look, it says right there, the God of this world, the God of this age has blinded them. They do not believe. And so the Apostle Paul uh, is simply saying, when I get pushback, it's from people that are blind. And the Apostle Paul knew what that was like because he used to be blind. But the pushback is still hard. Sometimes when I get pushback, I have to remember, I, I, used to, I used to give pushback to people. I was that guy. I was, you know, that person. And so it helps to remember where I came from. He says, lest the light of the gospel sh- should shine on them. There, look at verse 4. Lest the light of the gospel uh, should shine on them. The gospel is illuminating. The gospel shows us the truth about ourselves, the truth about God. The gospel sheds light on the affairs of life, And it also reveals the alternatives that are offered up by the enemy. The gospel shows us that God and his ways are the answers for time and for eternity. If people were not blinded by Satan, they would have an opportunity to see and understand the beauty of the gospel if they weren't blinded. I want you to ask, I want to ask you to turn over to, to, we're not going to turn around, turn uh, to other sections a lot today. In fact, I think this is the only one. But would you turn to John chapter 3 just for a moment, please? The Gospel of John chapter 3. Jesus tells us about this uh, scenario. 
Verse 16, so familiar to us, but we're going to read down to verse 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is the initiator of of salvation. God is the initiator of, of us having an opportunity to be right with him. Verse 17, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn to, to pronounce a guilty verdict because the guilty verdict has already been pronounced. Prior to his incarnation, the guilty verdict over mankind had already been pronounced and is still pronounced. Verse 18, He who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. That's how we escape the righteous judgment of God by believing in Christ, our substitute, the one who paid for our sins if we will receive him for that, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So tie tie 2 Corinthians into this. People are blinded. They don't understand the gospel and they stand not in good, they're not in good standing with God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love them, but they're not in good standing with God. The sentence has been pronounced, or the, the judgment has been pronounced and the sentencing is pending. In a trial, uh, we, we, we the, the jury, find that guy guilty and the judge will say, okay, we'll come back in one week for sentencing. So the guy's guilty. But the, the acting out of the sentence is delayed. That's how mankind is right now. Guilty before God. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love, love him. He absolutely loves all mankind. But they're guilty before God and the sentencing is pending till the day that they die. And then, then, it's, then it's activated. So, Verse 19, this is it. This is the condemnation. Why does this happen? Why do people actually eventually get judged? This is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done by God. Verse 19, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone practicing evil hates the light. Let me turn back to 2 Corinthians. Now, a couple of times in my life, I went into nightclubs. Shock of shocks. More than a couple of times. And they're never well lit. If they were well lit, half of the stuff that goes on in a nightclub wouldn't be happening because everybody would be seeing each other. All the little things and this and that and all this. The darkness was preferable because of the activity that was going on. Spiritually speaking, if you love darkness, that means that you hate light. Light is what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Why are people blinded? Why do people not want to see the light? Because they love darkness. And somehow Satan is convincing them that this is the better thing to do. And so we need to, keep, we need to move on here, but I just want to make this point. The people that are pushing back on you, if you especially right now, if you are really experiencing some, some people that are just like, I don't want to hear about Christ. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to hear about your Christian faith. Don't bug me with this. In fact, you people are this and that and the other thing. If you're getting that, it's because there's some blindness going on in that person. And the Bible says, not you or me, but the Bible says it's because they prefer darkness. Our bathroom mirror is kind of well lit, kind of well lit, you know? 
But then every, you know, sometimes I go to a hotel or something and I'll look and there's like those, you never seen those bathroom mirrors where there's lights all the way around? And you look and you go, oh, I didn't see that at home. <laughs> where did this big old nose hair come from? Oh, man, where are they? I've been walking around with that thing and suddenly the light's like, oh, man, oh, look what the light revealed. It was always there. Nose hair, that's kind of gross, isn't it? <laughs> People don't want that, re- they don't want those things revealed. And so, is it, are they blind because Satan makes them that way or because they love darkness? I think it's some, some combination of both. But guys, those people deserve our prayers, right? The people that are pushing back on you, if, they, if and when, they deserve your prayers because they're perishing. And the Apostle Paul just, just uh, brings that out. Look at their lives. We can pick up the pace a little bit. The Apostle Paul said in verse 2, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Those, there, there were people practicing religion but living in blindness. They were the, the false apostles. <clears throat> Paul says, we don't do what they do, hidden things of shame. They were being tricky with their ministry. They were, they were winning converts to themselves by deceitful means craftiness, or ready to adopt any device or trickery, handling the word of God deceitfully, diluting something, or not giving all of it. I recently watched a sermon about the passion of Jesus and about his suffering for us and how we could know Jesus, and not one time, I'm, I'm even sad to kind of even say this, not one time did the, did the preacher bring up the, the idea that you need to turn from your sins. It was never brought up once. Jesus loves you, he died for your sins, enjoy everything he has but it was never said that you need to turn from your sins you need to die to yourself it was never said once half the message was absolutely beautiful and really well presented but it wasn't the whole message i'm not trying to call that guy one of these guys but i'm just saying sometimes people do that deliberately we're not going to talk about the hard things we're not going to talk about we'll never mention sin and we'll never mention hell it's not the full gospel it's not the whole it's not the whole story and some people, and, and, the, and the guy that I watched, I'm not saying he was intentional about that, but some people are intentional that we don't want to offend people, we just want to kind of bring them in the doors, that kind of thing. And Paul says, we're, just, well, we don't, we're not going to do that. He says um, that their lives did not manifest the truth. They were, what they were manifesting was, was we're gathering people to ourselves because, of, uh, because we're clever or because we have huger-than-life personalities. They commend themselves through deceit or human wisdom or natural talent. Have you ever met a Christian where you're around them and you're just like amazed because like when, I, when I'm around this Christian, I, I, can, I could name some people here but I'm not going to embarrass them. Sometimes when I'm around certain Christians, it's like they don't have to say anything. I'm just so impacted by their lives. You ever get around that kind of person? There's, there's just like Jesus is just oozing out of them. The Holy Spirit's just on them and it's not because they're all demonstrative or anything like that. There's just such a love and a holiness and a purity and I just feel like, man, my, I feel so edified and, and lovingly challenged to be a better man just because of how they are. Then there are other people that need to convince you how they are. That's, that's what Paul's talking about. These guys that were pushing back on him needed to convince people how they were. We don't want to be that way. People can commend themselves directly or indirectly. Better to just let God commend you. Verse 5, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. So people that, 
are spiritually blind and, and veiled. The gospel is veiled to them. The truth about Jesus is veiled to them. Often their message is more about them. Not directly, but it's kind of like, if you want a great life, be like me, that kind of thing. And so Paul says, that's not what we're into. So those are the people that were given him pushback. Let's see the other side of the coin now. Paul talks about his life and, and other believers, and he talks about us, those with spiritual vision. Look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we re- there, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Paul says, even though I'm underappreciated, unappreciated, defamed, or accused, I'm not going to give up. Why didn't Paul give up? This is an open book text and I want somebody to raise their hand and there's an extra donut in the mix for you. Why did Paul not lose heart? Raise your hand and I'll call on you. Open book text, verse one, any courageous people in the room. This is a safe place. Come on, somebody. Caleb, I was going to call on you. It's my son-in-law. I'm going to shake you, boy, if you don't raise your hand. Why didn't Paul lose heart, Caleb? He received mercy. Thank you. We're going to keep you in the family now. You can stay married to my daughter. (laughs) The reality of Paul's life was, I'm not going to quit. Even these blind people are pushing back on me and accusing me because God's been so good to me. Whatever they're doing is small compared to the mercy of God. Whatever they're doing is small compared to what God is doing in me and through me. Guys, that's the kind of Christian faith we need, amen, where stuff's going to come. But Jesus needs to be, Jesus is bigger than the stuff that's coming, but is, he, is that a reality to us? Is he, do you really experience the greatness and the grandness of Christ in your life? Not saying, are you saved or not? That, I'm not saying that. Is the reality of Jesus day in and day out so much bigger than the disappointment of stuff on this side over here? And that's what Paul's saying. Look at verse one again. Thank you, Caleb. I'm proud of you. Column number three is my number three sign. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, as we have received mercy, because God has been merciful to us, we don't lose heart. And that's, that's, the, that's the power of the truth that keeps you going. Look at the, at the bottom of page one, New Living Translation. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. Not we never give up because I just have to make myself strong, or we never give up because oh, I just don't want to be called a quitter, or we never give up because... And yet, the only reason he didn't give up because God was greater than the opposition of his life. God was greater than the disappointment of his life. And God was the, Jesus was the great motivator of Paul's life. That's what every Christian in the room needs. He says, and you can turn the page over, we have this ministry. Imagine getting called into service by God himself. He's given him something to do. He's given you something to do. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not going to quit because I have something to do. Dear brothers and sisters, do you realize what it is that God wants to do in you and through you? The, your, the mission of your life is greater than the disappointments that come because the disappointments that come are temporal and the mission for your life is going to go on into eternity. The calling of God is greater than the opposition that you face, even the disappointment that we can face with ourselves. Been there, done that. Lived in a lot of self I'll even kind of use the word hatred for a long time because of all the stupid things I've done. And if I focus on that, I, I, I wouldn't be here today. That's for sure. But God's grace kind of able to climb out of that hole. The mission of our life, the calling of our life, the mercy that God has given us needs to be experientially greater than all the setbacks or else we're just going to get stuck in the setbacks. 
and just stay there and see ourselves as victims. Guys, everybody's a victim. Everybody in this room, something's been done against you. Everybody's been treated unfairly to varying degrees on different levels. It's sad, it's understandable, and all those things, and I'm not going to say you shouldn't feel bad. Of course we should feel bad. That's why we have emotions. But we can't get stuck there. That's what Paul's saying. Because of God's mercy and because I have a reason to live, I'm not going to quit. Paul had received mercy. Look at there, Philippians 3, 6. He describes his former life regarding zeal. I used to persecute the church. He says in 1 Timothy 1, 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. He's given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. I was, I was blind, Paul said. Paul understood those who were against him because he used to be that guy. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And Paul had received mercy and he knew what it was. He knew what it was to have his shame taken away. And his shame wasn't taken away through good works or because he was trying harder or because he was sorry or went to a self-help group, anything like that. I'm not trying to knock those things. His shame was taken away because Jesus bore it in his body. And Paul knew that he was forgiven. And God, Paul knew that he was loved. And it's like, how can, I, how can I quit? I have to keep being a Christian. I have to keep being an apostle. I have to keep serving the Lord. He saved me and I have a mission for life. Paul recognized two great truths. If you get anything out of this message today, page two, number four, letter A and B. That, this is, this is the, the mother load right here. This is, this is the Eureka, found gold. Paul recognized two great truths. He didn't deserve the bad treatment he was getting. If you're getting treated badly right now and you don't deserve it, I'm sorry, come, come after the service is done, we'll pray for you. Bad stuff happens to good people. Don't deserve it. Understood. Secondly, in a greater way, he didn't deserve God's love, mercy, salvation, or commission. He didn't deserve to be treated badly, but even more than that, he didn't deserve to be saved. And the bad treatment, Paul's not experiencing the bad treatment. As soon as he lost his head in Rome in that jail cell, the bad treatment stopped. It stopped. And he's been, he's been with Jesus for all, you know, 2,000 years now in glory, blessed, etc. Verse 6, It is God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of, of, of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Paul knew what it was like to walk in darkness. He understood that. He used to walk in darkness. He said, God who commanded light. Light doesn't have power to... to to make itself shine. In Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let light be, and light was. Light is not a self-existing, self-perpetuating uh, uh, experience. The lights in this room don't get turned on unless we come in and turn them on. And the light in your heart, if you're a Christian today, you need to understand, and you need to be very happy about this. Put on that happy face right now. Come on, guys. You need to be very happy about this. God, God, everybody look at me for a second. If you're a Christian today, it's because God let you be one. And he called you. 
and he helped you understand that people around, he helped you understand things that people around you, some of them, will never understand in this life. Some people in this life will never understand the sanctity of marriage or what the physical body is for or the sanctity of the unborn child or heaven, or hell, or absolute truth. Some people that you know and that I know, will, they'll never understand it. Some people that you and I know will never wake up one day in their life and ever say, thank you, God, for this day. They'll never say that. And in our Christian life, sometimes, you know, we, we know to thank God and all that, but we're, maybe we're distracted and all. You know, we have no idea what a blessing it is and a privilege it is to just be able to say, thank you, Lord, and really mean it. A great majority of the human population on earth will never say that. They'll never know it. They'll never understand it. They'll never feel it. And and if we can say it, it's because God has led us. Isn't that a blessing? Amen? It's tremendous, guys. It's tremendous. It's tremendous that God has shown his light in our hearts. And that's why we don't quit. He says it's shown in the glory of the face of Jesus Christ. To see Jesus is to see God. Look at your notes there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. New Living Translation. The sun radiates God's glory and expresses the very character of God. Paul said when we looked into the face of Christ, we saw God. Wow. So on this side of the equation, they don't like me. They think I'm weird all this stuff, you know, they, they think I'm self-righteous. And on this side, hallelujah, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Over here, hallelujah, it's like, I'm going to live for this over here. Sometimes these guys get to me, but I'm not going to quit because I've got all this over here. This little thing over here is so tiny. It's just, yeah, it gets to my humanity. They bug me, they're up, but I have this over here. I'm not going to quit. Not going to quit. Look what God has done. Look what He's doing. Look what He wants to do. He saved me. Christ died for me. Jesus was raised from the dead. I'm going to be. My body's going to be raised out of the ground. I'm going to. I'm going to have an elevation sensation. I'm going to have a body suited for heaven. I'm going to live with my my loved ones and my family and friends and all those who know Jesus. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. There, all of us in the room know know people who have been among us who have quit. Right. How many of you know a Christian that have quit? I do. I know Christians. I, I think they were Christians. They had every, every indication that they were Christians, but the pastor was mean to them or something didn't go right or somebody did this or that or something and they just allowed their hearts, I think, to get discouraged and they quit. They let disappointment turn into discouragement. Disappointment is inevitable. Discouragement is a choice. And I'm not trying to just say snap your fingers and get over it. I'm not trying to say that. But we have to fight our way out of discouragement and fight our way away from discouragement. I understand that. But how do we do that? By just pulling ourselves up? No, by looking on Jesus. That's how we do it. The reality of the Christian life. Look at their lives. Look at the life of such a person. Verse 5, we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus, Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. We don't need to talk about ourselves. We have a greater subject to talk about. Verses 7 to 12. Verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Paul, Paul's opposers, opposition, they exalted themselves. But Paul called himself a clay pot. <laughs> I'm just a clay pot. You're, you're this and that and, and whatever, but I'm just a clay pot because the treasure is what's mat- what matters, not the pot. 
The treasure is what matters. And when you look at the treasure, the pot is just that which holds the treasure. That's how he saw his life. In verses 8 and 9, he lists his suffering. They were extreme. His sufferings were extreme. And I know that some of you guys are suffering today. I know that because I talked to you. I know it's hard. I know that disappointment has maybe turned into discouragement and you don't know if you can keep going on with certain things in life. I understand that. But Christ is greater than those things. Look at, the, look at the things there on your notes. We are hard pressed on every side but not crushed. It talks about like the pressing of grapes. We're in the wine press but somehow we're not destroyed. We are perplexed which means we don't have resources but not in despair. We don't have resources but we haven't lost everything. We're persecuted, which makes, means they're chasing us, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, which means to cast to the ground, but we're not destroyed, which means rendered useless. Yeah, it's hard. And by the way, these things are in the present tense continual. You could easily read verses 8. We are always being hard-pressed on, on every side, but not crushed. We are always being perplexed. It's present tense continuous. It never let up in the Apostle Paul's life. He didn't get any breaks in this season of life. All I want to do with us today is just saying, whatever makes you, whatever disappointment is pushing you towards discouragement, the way out of it is to remember the mercy of God. Dear, dear brothers and sisters, I cannot make that move for you. You have, you have to get yourself there. You have to be like David in Psalm 45. Why, David got up and looked in the mirror. I, I'm just making this part up. But he said this, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? I will yet hope in God. He's the, he's the help of my countenance. I will yet help in God, Psalm 46, for the hope of his countenance. He helps me and my face lights up. I look at him and I see his face lit up. Guys, are you disappointed today? Are you discouraged today? Go home and talk to yourself. Don't let anybody hear you. Pretend you're talk, put in your earbuds and pretend you're talking on the phone. Do you do this, you know, so if you're out in the yard, people will just think you're on the phone. But talk to yourself. That's the remedy. Come on, Bill. Yeah, you, you're dumb and dummy and lazy and me do all these things. And yeah, these people are, don't like you. And, but come on, Bill. Come on. Jesus is over here. Look at all he's done in your life. Look, he's saved you. He's given you a beautiful family. He's let you be a pastor. He's grandkids. All this. Look, at, look at all that God has done. Come on, Bill. And that's what we have to do. And nobody can do that for you except you. Nobody. But if you don't, you'll just see yourself as a victim. And you might quit. And God doesn't want you to quit. Nobody around you wants you to quit. And quitting is the worst thing that we can do. Verse 10 and 11. He says that we're always carrying about the in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. What a verse, verse 12 is. So then death is working in us, but life is working in you. Paul speaks about this crazy paradox that's true. In John 3.30, John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. And that's how the Christian life is. If you want to follow Jesus, you're going you're gonna to lay down your life and pick up your cross and follow him. But as you do that, guys, there's less of you. If you do it with, with, with him in mind, if you're uh, 
thinking, Lord, this is you want me to set, maybe step away from these friends and step away from these activities, and I'm going to follow you. Here's even a, a more a pertinent uh, application. It's like, Lord, these people are hassling me. Me and my flesh, I want to get revenge. And the Lord says, no, you need to love them instead. Bring them buttercream donuts and say good morning and be as nice as you can to them. I don't want to. I want to tear into them. In fact, I, I know some things they've done wrong. I could really make their life miserable. No, don't do it. How do I think these things? I don't know. I read books. And it's like, don't do that thing over there. Okay, I'm going to deny myself. I'm not going to do that thing. I want to get back at them, and I know that I could. I could, I could flatten them, but I'm not going to do that thing. I'm denying myself, and suddenly the life of Christ increases in me. What does that person need? My revenge or the life of Christ? The life of Christ. That person needs me to be a conduit of, of the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even if nothing changes on them, it's changing in me. Amen? You guys with me? Look at verse 10 and 11. We're going we're to finish it. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? So I can be miserable? No. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Do you want more Jesus? Yes or no? Are you willing to suffer for it? That's, somehow that's the way that it comes. Sometimes it comes no other way. Verse 11, we who live are always being delivered to, Jesus, to death for Jesus' sake so that, notice the, the reason why, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. And Paul could say, and I'm going to summarize here, if you have any questions, I hope you got them in. So then Paul could say, these people that disappoint me, these Corinthians, I'm their spiritual dad, and now they're questioning my apostles, they're questioning, they're accusing me, they're critical, all these things. Very disappointed. I almost want to be discouraged. But God is too good, and by the way, if I just deny myself, my response to them is going to be full of Jesus. And that's what they need. Death is working in me. I'm going to die to myself. And as I do that for the purposes of the kingdom of God, life is working in them. I, I don't know how much I should say sometimes when I'm up here. My dear wife used to tell me, you need to not share so much. <laughs> But I'm, I'm just telling you guys because I want you to just know that I feel it too. There have been times that I know I could bury someone with certain information. I know that. They could probably bury me too. And my heart's hard and I'm angry and I've been wronged and I'm not going to put sugar in their gas tank. But you're out of my life. I have felt that way. I'm just being honest with you guys. I have felt that way, and I have been wrong. And as I pray for that person, sometimes I get so mad at God because he softens my heart. I start praying for that person because I know that I should, and I can't stay angry anymore. What are you doing to me? I want to stay mad. It's energizing, God. I want to be mad. And I can't stay mad, and he changes my heart, and I start liking him. It's like, why are you messing with me? <laughs> I'm being a little silly, but you guys get it, right? Death is working at me, and suddenly the life of Christ comes. And now when that person sees me, they don't have to go like this and shy away because I'm coming at them and shaking their hand. And now life can work in them. And now I don't want to quit anymore because they're not doing that thing that they used to do that disappointed me. This, this is the way of Jesus. 
This is the way of the gospel. Any questions? That means no. Let's stand together. Could we just stand before the Lord for a minute? I just want you guys to just be quiet before him and just about 30 seconds and You know the things that disappoint you and you know the things that make you feel like maybe it's not worth it. And let's just bring those things to the altar right now. Thank you so much, Lord. You know our hearts and you know our weaknesses and you know our hopes and our dreams and our sins and you know us Inside and out, you know our words before we speak them, our actions before we do them. And we thank you so much, Jesus, for your, for your love for us and the cross. And we thank you that you had mercy on us. And we thank you that you uh, turned on the light in our hearts and in our minds to understand that we needed you. You're gracious to do that. And we love being your children And we pray, Lord, for those situations. And we pray for those people that disappoint us and push us towards discouragement. And we we want to just pray on their behalf, Lord, especially those who don't know the gospel, that your light would shine on them, God. And that you'd use us to be lamps to them, lights on a hill. And so thank you, Lord. May our great motivation in life be you. May you be the greatest motivation for our life, Lord. You've been merciful to us and you've given us a life to live. May we live it well for you, Lord. May you be glorified. Father, I thank you for this church and I thank you for each person here. And I thank you so much, Lord, that you know every life and every family and every situation and you are sufficient to make it all good. Thank you, Lord. Can we just say thank you together? Thank you, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.